So, no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear. Hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. Maybe you recognize those, uh, those lyrics to the Rembrandt's song, I'll Be There For You, which, uh, which starts out, uh, that's how it starts out, and it's the start of the, it's the classic theme song for a generation who watched, or maybe still watches wherever it's found uh, on the interweb, uh, the sitcom Friends. Um, maybe you didn't recognize it with, uh, without the words be, or the, the music behind it. But, it, I mean, in the fall of 2020, as you continue to live through the pandemic and its fallout, as wildfires burn in the West, as racial tensions reach a fever pitch, as financial stress rises, as record hurricanes batter the coast, as pres- presidential candidates are in the home stretch of a bitter campaign, um, as... Our president now has uh, contracted the virus. We could fill in the blank over and over and over again. Uh, maybe you resonate with the, those, uh, those uh, words. No one told me life was going to be this way. But it is. And then add to all of that the quote-unquote normal stresses of life, right? Everything from relationship issues to, to things at work, uh, grief and loss, uh, I mean, car trouble. I mean, you, again, you name it. And, and it could very well seem like too much to handle, right? Uh, life is full of problems and pain and heartache and circumstances that we would never choose for ourselves. And today, as we start this new series, we're going to see what Scripture says about handling all of those very real trials of life. We're going to open up to the book of James today. Uh, I want to encourage you, um, it's, it's going to be up on the Jumbotron like normal, but uh, if you have uh, the Bible on your device or if you have one of those analog Bibles, I hear they, they put the whole Bible into this book and you can just open it up and flip the pages. It's kind of fun. Um, but uh, uh, it, So it, we're going to look at the book of James and for the next, uh, for the next uh, little while we're going to be doing that. It's this little letter uh, toward the end of the New Testament and we're going to be walking through that from from now until, uh, well, through the, through the rest of the fall. Uh, and this series, as you saw up there a minute ago, is, uh, is called Faith That Works. Uh, for a couple of reasons. First off, the book of James is, is action-packed, right? It's, it's, it's uh, the, the life that it describes uh, over the, the five chapters of this little, little letter um, is a life of involvement, James expects us to dive in and to take responsibility for our spiritual lives. He expects us to work. If you think that living life with Jesus is just about saying a couple of prayers and and attending a service now and then, uh, then you're in for a rude awakening when you read through James. It is in its, in its no-nonsense style, this little book lays out the challenges and the joys of following Jesus. And in doing that, uh, it, it's describing a faith that works. It, it, it works. Following these principles, diving in and doing the work, uh, uh, following these beliefs and practices will draw us closer to God and uh, will draw us closer to each other and will keep us on track in our relationship with God. It, it works. So it's faith that works. As with most of the New Testament, uh, we know that the, what we know as the, this little book, the book of James, is actually a letter that was written in the first century. 
It was, a, it was an open letter. Probably if it was written today, it probably would have been a blog post or a series of blog posts or it would have been a group email sent to uh, uh, primarily Jewish followers of Jesus. And in, in, uh, back in those days, it was sent uh, to the, the, the Jewish Christians who had been dispersed throughout the known world, what we would know as, as the, the Middle East and Eastern Europe. As you can probably guess, a guy named James wrote this letter, but not the James that's in this room today. Hi, James. I mean, it would have been great if you had, but sorry. Uh, and not the James that uh, maybe you know of as, uh, that was one of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples. So there was uh, the James and John, the, the sons of thunder, right? And they were, uh, Peter, James, and John were kind of uh, Jesus' uh, inner circle. And, and so a lot of folks uh, think that James was written, must have been written by, by that James, uh, one of Jesus' inner circle disciples. But, but, but this James, uh, the, the one that wrote the book of James, was Jesus' half-brother. Probably the, the oldest of his siblings. Whenever we see a list of Jesus' uh, siblings, uh, James is listed first. So most scholars feel like he's probably uh, was, was Jesus' brother. Um, uh, next in line, so to speak. And, and, uh, and we, when we see James in the Gospels, which isn't much, but we see that, that uh, he was skeptical of Jesus and, and that he was the Messiah. I mean, you would. Younger brother, yeah, my older brother thinks he's the Messiah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not. That's probably not uh, what what I'm thinking. So, uh, so, uh, but so James was kind of skeptical. In John uh, chapter seven verse five, it says that quote Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Just lays it right out there. James would have been uh, one of those brothers who did not believe in him initially. But we see uh, in scripture that James seems to have had a life changing conversion. Right, right after the resurrection. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul is describing uh, what happened, what took place there, and, and he says that the, that the resurrected Jesus specifically appeared to James, and it, appeared, it, it seems as though he did that even before he showed himself to the disciples. We, we don't know all the details of that uh, interaction, but, but we do know that, that after that, uh, uh, James was one of the 120 people who was uh, gathered in the upper room before the day of Pentecost, after Jesus ascended and then they gathered and they were praying and then on the day of Pentecost James would have been one of those uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon and and, and then throughout the book of Acts and and uh, then also referred to in Galatians we see that James is one of the main leaders of the early church he's helping to guide and make decisions as this fledgling church establishes itself James the uh, brother of Jesus now leader of the church I didn't know this till this week, but James uh, has had an interesting nickname. Uh, early historians say that people call James Old Camel Knees. I mean, there could be better nicknames, I guess, but actually no, because, uh, because the, the reason they called him Old Camel Knees, as you can imagine, is because of his constant prayers for the people that were under his care and for the, the church. Uh, it quoted one of those, uh, one of those uh, early historians uh, said that he, quote, was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people so that his knees became hard like those of a camel in consequence of his constantly bending them in his worship of God and asking forgiveness for the people. 
We've got pads up here so that you all don't ever get that nickname, I guess. But uh, it's not about the knees, but it's about James' heart for God and for the people that he served. Uh, and, and so uh, just, a, just an interesting thing as we look through this book over the next weeks, we see where he's coming from and we see his heart for God and, and for the people that he's leading. Now James was a, was a no-nonsense leader and the tone of this letter is a little bit different than, than others that we find in the New Testament. There's not a lot of flowery language or poetry on these pages. Uh, it's just good, solid, rubber-meets-the-road uh, description of what it means to follow Jesus. And we see that right from the start. Most, most New Testament letters uh, were, the, were written by Paul, and, and Paul was an educated preacher and a teacher, and, and he started his letters uh, usually with long introductions, and, and he wove theology and doctrine into these beautiful phrases, and a lot of times he would do play on words, and, and sometimes they would rhyme and, and, and all these things, and, and did all that before he'd ever, you know, if you look through some of the New Testament letters, he's, I mean, verse after verse after verse is all just introduction, and then, they, then Paul finally gets into his letter. James doesn't do that. I don't know if you saw that there in, in verse 1 if you've opened up to it, but, but he just jumps right in. He describes himself uh, pretty, pretty uh, short. He, he describes himself, and, and then he says who he's writing to, and then he says, greetings. Now let's get started. He, and he just jumps right in. One word of uh, introduction, greeting. Hey there, now let's get going. And uh, he just dives right in. Uh, it's short to the point and effective, I think. And, and then he just jumps in. And, and he jumps in, uh, again, uh, addressing a topic that we'd probably say is, is difficult, maybe controversial a little bit, maybe like, I don't know about that, James. But he just starts right off. He just dives right in. Uh, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I think we can all relate to the fact that James is addressing facing trials of many kinds. And, and uh, as we listed uh, just a little bit ago, I mean, it's 2020 for, for Pete's sake, right? So it's, uh, well, not for my sake. Don't, uh, don't put me in 2020 together. But uh, it's, it's uh, uh, James seems to know that this is something that everybody deals with. And not just us here and now, but, but the people he was writing to back then. Uh, James seems to know that, uh, man... Maybe no one told you life was going to be this way, but it is, and so let's talk about it. He says, whenever we face these things, he says it's going to happen. We will face trials of many kinds. The question is, this is what it all comes down to. The question is, when you face trials of many kinds, what do you consider it? What do you consider it? Typically, uh, at best, we might consider the trials of life to be a nuisance. Uh, something I have to deal with, but I wish I didn't. Maybe car trouble fits into that category. And, and you're like, oh, I, I just wish that I didn't have to do Everything was great and fine. The car's working great, but now it's not. And I've got to call John and get him to come fix. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call John. But uh, uh, I, I, it's just a nuisance. Ugh. Usually, it's, it's worse than that, though, right? Usually, or a lot of times, we might consider trials as demoralizing or debilitating or depressing or overwhelming, unfair, undeserved, just downright awful. 
right? We blame other people. We blame God. When life throws you a curveball, when things get bad, when you face trials of many kinds, what's your attitude? What do you consider it? James throws his own curveball here when he says that we should consider it pure joy, right? I mean, that's uh, literally, I don't know if you realize just how ridiculous, that you probably do realize how ridiculous this sounds. In the face of everything going on in, in your life, in our country, in the world, consider it pure joy. Well, James must be out of touch. Again, the James of Scripture, not the James in the room. Uh, James must be out of touch. He, he's, he starts this letter off with the admonition to Christians to hang in there. Well, actually, not, not just to hang in there, though, right? Uh, more than that. He says to persevere, to consider the awful hard things of life as joy. I mean, I could get on board with hang in there. I, I could probably get to that place. Uh, it, it wouldn't come naturally, but I could get there. I, I mean, it's hard. It might seem a little, little more possible, though, to get to hang in there through the trials. I can see how we probably shouldn't shake our fist at God and we should probably submit to his plans and all of that stuff, right? But, but I could see, so I could see that we should probably just grit our teeth and, and make it through. Just, ugh. James doesn't say hang in there and it'll be over soon, you can do it. He says consider it joy. And not just joy, pure joy. Not, not, you know, not a little bit of joy, uh, not contaminated joy, pure joy, right? Consider it pure joy. I wonder, I wonder if one reason why that sounds so crazy to us is because we tend to live like God should be working for us, right? That God, it's God's job to give us what we want and what we need and to make sure that we're happy and comfortable. And if that isn't happening, then it's a trial of many kinds. <laughs> but James' introduction here, we just saw a minute ago when he introduces himself in verse 1. He helps us to see that his perspective is completely the opposite of that. Uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James saw himself as the property of God. God is not working for James. James was working for God. He was serving him. He was his servant. And we should be the same. We are serving God. We should be looking for ways to serve God, not simply wanting him to serve us. And that's a, a huge shift in mindset that changes a whole lot of things. God does not, hang in with, with me here, but God does not exist to make you happy in the moment. He wants to grow you over time. And that is a huge shift in mindset that changes how we look at trials of many kinds. I mean, if, if, it's, if it's God's job uh, to, to make me happy and to give me what I want, and then there are trials in my life, then, then, uh, then I, should have, I should avoid those things like the plague, right? Uh, I mean, there's no place in my life for trials if I believe that God is here to make me happy because he's going to get rid of all those things for me. And I'd have every right to be angry with God if his primary job was to make sure that I was happy. And, and if I'm not happy, then I'm going to be angry with God until he makes me happy. But that's not God's objective. We, that's, that's forming God in our image instead of us submitting to him for who he is. God's plans for you are so much better than to make you happy in the moment. <laughs> 
He wants to make us mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. God desires you to be mature and complete, whole, right? And and not lacking anything. What what an amazing picture. So if that's the case, though, there will be times when you need to walk through hard things because that's how you'll mature. Trials are opportunities. I heard the story years ago about a... uh, um, an organization in Montana who was uh, offering a bounty of $5,000 for every wolf that was captured alive. They were, maybe you heard about this and years ago. They kind of cleared wolves out because they were uh, wreaking havoc and doing all things. Now they've introduced them back in and, and they're killing cows. And I don't know if you watch 60 Minutes or not. But anyway, there's a whole thing. Uh, but, but back in the day, the, they say, and I don't know whether this story is true or not, but they say that these two guys named Sam and Jed were out hunting wolves. They, they needed to capture them and take them back and and they went for days and days out in the, the, uh, the wilderness of Montana and, and uh, uh, hadn't really found anything. And they, they, uh, they were camping around a, a campfire one night, just exhausted. In the middle of the night, uh, Sam wakes up and he sees all these beady eyes just gathered around. And they are surrounded by a pack of 20 plus wolves. <laughs> and Sam looks and sees his situation and then he wakes up Jed and he says, Jed, wake up. We're going to be rich. (laughs) An opportunity, right? Well, maybe that's stretching it a little bit. But uh, the trials that we face in life are opportunities. They are chances for us to grow our faith, to grow our spiritual lives. I I make fun of my mom sometimes because, uh, and she's probably going to see this, so sorry, mom. But uh, when when she has to to wait on, on things... Uh, wait on something or someone, Uh, instead of complaining about it, she usually says something like, well, it's just another opportunity to practice patience. And she smiles, and she means it. And, uh, and, and, yeah, and it makes me go, yeah, okay, well, but you're probably right, right? Uh, That is how we grow and get strong in every area of life. Uh, In facing difficulty, we get stronger. Eh, There are so many examples of that. Uh, there's a, there, there was an experiment, uh, I don't know, was it the 90s maybe? Uh, they, they built this biosphere, there's a picture, uh, out in Arizona, I believe it was, and, and they, uh, they created this environment for, it kind of supposed to be this perfect environment for, for living, th- for plant and animal life, and even people lived in there. And uh, there was this huge glass dome, you see that, and, and they, uh, they, they uh, it was environmentally controlled, and they had purified air and, and purified water, and, and there were healthy soil and filtered light and just this perfect place for things to thrive. And it, things did thrive, except there was one big problem that baffled the scientists for a while. When, um, when the trees got to be a certain height, they just fell over. And they'd grow up, and then they'd, they'd get so tall, they'd just come And the scientists realized over time that they had not included in the biodome, they had not included the natural element of wind. And so the trees grew without any opposition, and they didn't ever have to, because when wind blows, roots grow. And when, when a tree recognizes, and, and it's just how, how nature works, a tree is, is pushed against as it grows, it starts to send out roots in order to, 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 to strengthen itself. And, and, to, and over time, the wind, the opposition, uh, makes it stronger. I guess what James is, is trying to say here in, in chapter 1 
is that God allows, when God allows suffering in our lives, there's a point to it. And that's where, that's where perseverance comes in. I can, I can persevere if I know that there's a point to the pain. Just as the trees in the biosphere could only be strong enough to grow tall when pressured by the wind, so we often need to struggle in order to become all that God wants us to be. One main reason that God allows trials in our lives is so that we can develop and grow. Persevering through the trials of life makes us mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if I had started there, we could have started there, and I could have said, hey, how about this? What if, wouldn't it be awesome, would you agree, do you want to be mature and complete? Do you want to not lack anything? Man, I think all of us would sign up. Yes. Do you want to be mature and complete? Not like, yes, I, I want to do. And, and then, I mean, we want to be whole, not broken. We want to be full, not empty. We want to be strong, not weak. But in order to get there, we have to walk through some tough stuff. It's it stated even more emphatically in the, in the message paraphrase of, of James uh, 1, 2 through 4. I want to read that uh, to you. It says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into uh, the open and shows its true color. So, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, I like presents. I like somebody to give me a gift. When somebody gives me a gift, uh, it shows that they want to bless me. They, they, they think highly of me. They took time to pick out something that they think that I'd like and that I'd benefit from. And, and yet, this says that tests and challenges are gifts. When we unwrap those tests and challenges, I think most of us would want to quickly rewrap those things and give them back, right? But if I begin to see... That God is giving me these things in order to bless me, to benefit me, then I'll begin to accept hard circumstances instead of always trying to avoid them. So many times, our prayers during difficulty are for relief and release, right? God, get me out of this. God, this is happening and I need it to not. I I need it to stop. This is is awful. This is bad. God, deliver me from this. And we want to get out of it. But what if he wants to do something in you through it? If if I'm considering my trials as pure joy, then then I see them as an opportunity for me to grow. uh, They're a gift. I I won't be quick to to try to get out of my problems. Perseverance, uh, we, we read there in the NIV, perseverance must finish its work. So we have to we remain steadfast knowing that God has a plan and he will develop us through this. I think uh, I think James starts off with this right out of the gate because uh, because he knows that our number one goal should be to become mature and complete not lacking anything and he knows that a significant stretch of the road to that end uh, is paved with trials of many kinds. And so don't try to get out of the trials in your life too soon because perseverance shapes us. I'm not saying that it's easy. Uh, it's it's anything but but remember, this is faith that works. There's, there's, 
it's, it's hard sometimes. I, when I played, uh, I played soccer in high school and college, and, and the first week or weeks of the season were always the, the hardest, right? Uh, that was the uh, dreaded conditioning time, right? And we would practice sometimes uh, two or three times a day. Uh, usually we didn't even see a soccer ball until Thursday or Friday, right? And it was just, it was just, uh, just a lot of running from what I remember. I've tried to block those things out of my memory, but... Um, I mean, let me just say, I don't know, this is being broadcast around the world, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but there is something sick and wrong in every coach's head that they always make their team run wind sprints. You know what I'm talking about? Wind sprints are, you're down at the end, and you run up to, uh, to the goal box, uh, 18 yards, is, is, and then you, you run back. But you're not done yet. That's just, that's just the beginning. Because then you've got to run all the way to half field, and, uh, and then back. And then all the way to three-quarters of the way, that line, the goalie box on the other side, and then back. And then all the way down to the other end, and then back. Now, a soccer field is much, maybe you're not, you know, soccer, uh, maybe you don't like, but soccer field and a football field are pretty much the same distance, okay? So you're running literally, that's that, back and back and up and back, and up, uh, wind sprints. I mean, usually we'd run a few. And um, a lot of times this would happen. The coach would say, uh, okay, you've run five or six of these things. It's the end of practice. The first two to finish, you're done and hit the showers. He's trying to get you to keep going, right? And usually I would, I would finish third. And, um, and that was... That was the worst place. I should have just been last, right? Uh, because that, I mean, it was, it, there was something cruel and sadistic. Well, maybe not. No, they, they're not really trying to be cruel and sadistic, right? They knew that we would be better off in the long run if we were in shape. I specifically remember, uh, I could tell you his name, I can see his face, and I remember the conversation my sophomore year of high school, one of the seniors uh, uh, said that, uh, that as he ran wind sprints, he would say to himself under his breath, I'll be better because of this. And as he's running, I'll be better because of this. I'll be better because of this. And he would repeat that to himself over and over and over again. That helped me a lot through the remaining years that, uh, that, that I played because uh, I started doing the same thing. I, I'm not saying that it made it easier. But it helped me to persevere and to give all that I had. It was, it, it was true. It was hard at the time, but it was true. There was purpose to the pain. And literally, later in the season, when we won because we were in better shape than the, the team we were playing, there was joy because of the pain that we'd gone through. Now, not only does God mature us through difficulty, and, and, and that should be our, our purpose and our goal, we need to also recognize, and James tells us, that there's reward coming as well. When we persevere, when, when perseverance has, has finished its course. Uh, it, it, chapter 12, just a few uh, verses down uh, in, in or verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, James says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So not only will we be mature and complete, not lacking anything, but we have a crown of life, a, a, a reward coming for those uh, who have persevered. Perseverance is rewarded. God's kingdom is coming. There are benefits here and now as we become mature, and there is also reward for those who persevere to the end. Uh, James chapter 5. So jumping over to the last chapter of James, uh, he brings this topic all, uh, up again 
almost to the very end. And so he starts off, and he all, it's almost like bookends that he's talking about these issues of, of facing difficulty. And he says in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. You'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Patience and perseverance, two words that we wish were stricken from the English language maybe, right? Uh, I don't want to hang in there. I don't want to wait. But they're such great character qualities as we develop them. Just as a farmer puts a seed in the ground and waits for the rain to make it grow and produce a harvest, we should be waiting expectantly for Jesus even through difficult times. Our hope of his return keeps us persevering as well. James uses maybe the biggest example of perseverance in all of scripture, uh, a guy named Job. Maybe you've read the book of Job in the Old Testament, maybe not. I mean, he was healthy, wealthy, happy, all the things, and then he wasn't, right? And he lost everything. And there are 42 chapters in that book of Job in the Old Testament, the vast majority of which chronicle Job's suffering as he deals with trials of many kinds. And there were many trials of many kinds. And he asks why, and he wants to give up, and he wonders what the meaning of life is. All those questions that maybe you've asked at some point in your life along the way or maybe you're asking now. And yet at the end of the book of Job, we find that, that through his whole ordeal, Job grows to understand God more and, uh, and, and has a deeper experience with him. I, I just love Job 42.5. Job is talking to God after God has talked back to him and, and they've, they've had this back and forth and all these things, 42 chapter, 41 chapters, beginning of chapter 42, verse 5, he, Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I, I, yeah, God, I'd heard of you and heard of who you were, and, but now I've experienced you for myself. Because of the trials of many kinds that I have been walking through, I now have seen you. Job never would have truly seen the Lord without the trials that he faced. His his struggles added a whole new dimension to his faith. He grew in his relationship with God through the difficult experiences of his life. It wasn't fun. It was awful. It was horrible. It was painful. He never would have chosen it for himself. He never would have chosen to go through it again. And yet God used it to deepen his faith. And you and I will experience trials of many kinds. None of us is exempt Tests and challenges come at us from all sides. So we have to ask the question again, what are you going to consider it when it happens? A nuisance? A tragedy? Undeserved? Or is it a sheer gift? Is it pure joy? That's our choice. How are we going to face or consider those trials maybe maybe you've had a bad attitude uh, facing trials uh, that you're facing uh, are you allowing God to develop you through them your your the trial that you're facing today will enable you to see God and experience him in a whole new deeper way tomorrow my ears had heard of you but now now my eyes have seen you 
facing trials with joy and perseverance enables us to experience God and allows us to become mature and complete. And we have the hope of reward and blessing in heaven, a crown of life coming. Will you stand with me? This isn't a, a, a simple, easy, oh, God's going to get us out of all, my, all of our trials kind of sermon, right? It, it's more of a um, God has a point to your trouble kind of sermon. It's more of a I better get used to trouble because God's going to use it to grow you. We can hang in there because there's reward at the end. And through every step of the way, I'm going to be able to see God more clearly. So, will you bow with me? I'm going to use the, the, the words of, some of the words of this passage as our benediction today. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true color. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. Father God, we pray that you would make us mature and complete. We don't want to lack anything. Lord, we, we, we hold back from difficulty. We want an easy life. We want a, we, we want a happy life. But Lord, we, ultimately, we want to be your servants. So Lord, I pray, whatever we're facing right now, I pray that you will help us to persevere. That you'll give us a glimmer of the, of the reward that's to come. And that you'll give us a glimpse of how you're maturing and growing us in the process. Lord, I pray that, that uh, we can see as we look back to the trials that you've brought us through, that we can see where you have grown us and we can get encouragement from that. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we recognize that more trials are to come, I pray that you will help us to rely solely and completely on you. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence uh, through it all. We pray that you'll keep our eyes on you, that you'll keep us focused on, uh, on, on who you are and what you are, uh, how you are forming and making us. And Lord, I pray that as we go from this place today, we will go knowing that your spirit goes with us, enabling us to love people to life, the people that you bring across our path. Lord, we commit ourselves afresh and anew to you today. In Jesus' name we pray.